Stu Peters MHK joins us this week to talk about his new roles in highways and the post office, but we also discuss Rob Collister's shock sacking announced last Thursday and have a look at this month's Tinwald. Health member Tanya August Hansen MLC was due to join us, but pulled out of the programme at the very last minute. If you heard my promo for the show, you'll have spotted my irritation at this, but Tanya has subsequently spoken to me, explained her decision and agreed to appear on a future show. I know that she has been busy since she was elected to LegCo about five years ago, and I'm sure we all look forward to hearing what she's been up to. Frequent contributor to this show, Laurie Hooper MHK was also due to join us, but having just been appointed Minister for both Health and Enterprise, I think he had a reasonable excuse not to come. So Stu, you're on your own today. Uh, We did originally have a a cast of of, uh, two, three uh, other uh, guests, um, but uh, for various reasons um, they've decided to pull out at the very last minute. Well, think of it as quality rather than quantity. Well, that's what I do think of it as. Um, But perhaps that's the one to start with is um, you could describe it as quality or quantity. Um, Rob Collister's departure, does that come as a big surprise? It did, yes. Uh, I'm not involved in the health department and uh, I'm not involved in most departments, to be honest. But um, health especially is something best left to experts, I think. So I, I tend to stay out of it unless I've got a constituency problem. Uh, and I found, just as a by-the-by, that the MCALS service is very helpful uh, if you've got, uh, certainly if I've got a constituency problem. Um, so, yeah, I don't really get involved in health. I'm not a departmental member. Uh, but I did hear rumblings while I was in London last week that, that there were um, there were things going on in the department. Uh, so it was a surprise to me, uh, as it will have been to an awful lot of people last week, to have, have seen the uh, the email from the chief minister about it. Because in in essence, the, you know, the minister has been sacked. He was asked yes. whether, whether he would like to resign, and uh, basically he said, "Well, I don't think I've done anything to warrant resignation." Right. Well, I, I mean, I don't know what was uh, what was the the content of those discussions, but yeah, it, it was it was a, a, a bit of a strong email that that said effectively that he'd been asked to stand down, which is unusual. Because you'll know in politics the, the the usual way is to allow people to fall on their own sword and uh, retain some dignity, but that doesn't seem to have happened, which is a shame because you know Rob Rob is uh, a, a nice guy and I'm sure he was doing his best, but uh, like I say, beyond that, I don't really know whether he was doing a good job or if he'd gone in with with uh, you know uh, firing on both barrels. I, I don't know what the problem was. And and. Does this say something? Well, it must say something about the the chief minister's judgment and ability to actually um, control, manage, um, work with his his colleagues in council of ministers. I mean, I think it's quite extraordinary in in the first year of a, of any administration. I mean, just over a year, aren't we? Um, that three ministers have gone. One uh, resigned for fairly uh, reasonable uh, reasons. Yeah. Uh, minister Ashford. Um, but the other two, uh, they do seem to um, demonstrate perhaps a lack of ability on the part of the chief minister to lead his, his, his government. I don't know, because I'm not a member of Council of Ministers. I don't know what the discussions are within Comin. Um Yeah, in some ways. I mean, if you were to try and put some sort of a positive spin on it, it would be that the chief minister, as soon as he recognises that there's a problem, seeks to resolve it you know, w- w- without fear or favour. 
Um, whether that's the case here or not, I don't know. Um, as to why he uh, gave Rob the job in the first place, um, he will have thought that, that he was the guy who had probably the most experience because remember that I think 11 members of the 24 are new to the House of Keys um, and we just don't have that breadth of experience to be able to take on a ministerial position, not many of us anyway. And I suppose just finally then, uh, you haven't had any phone calls uh, asking whether you'd be willing to take on uh, ministerial responsibility. No, (laughs) strangely enough not. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I don't don't think that I've got enough experience to take on a ministerial job. Um, I mean, you look at people like Jane Poole Wilson, who is also new to Keys, but she's got some years on Legislative Council, so she knows how the system works. So, So she was a minister to write from the off as a new member um, but I'm not I mean I've watched Tim Wald from the outside for 20 years but it's a whole different beast inside um, so I, I don't know that I've got the self-confidence to to put myself forward for being a minister uh, maybe in the fullness of time I don't know but just at the moment um, I, I am somebody who who worries that he might not be quite up to the job so when I was offered the post office job um, I did make it clear to the Chief Minister that it wasn't anything that I'd sought, uh, but if he wanted me to do it and thought I could do it, I'd give it a go. Um, so, uh, yeah, ministerial work, I think, is probably more complicated and, and, and it relies more on some sort of, uh, of uh, experience and knowledge of things that have gone on over the last administration as well because an awful lot of what we're doing now was started in the last administration. And I think that the the ministers who were there then, even if they weren't ministers at the time, have got a much better sort of understanding of, of issues. Yeah, because it's it's not a simple matter, politics, is it? it, it, it well, I don't know. You, you tell me, from, from your um, sitting my side of the, of, of the, the studio yeah. to, to, to the, the side that you're now on, um, as a, you know, a journalist, a, a presenter on Manx Radio, no doubt you would have reached the view as to how difficult or easy it was being a, a, a member of the House of Keys. Um, has that view changed in the course of the last 12 months? Um, yes, it has, because I've changed sides effectively. And I think when you change sides, you've got to go all in. And so I've gone all in to, to uh, a political career. And I've talk to people on a different level now as a colleague rather than as a journalist and a few of the members who I might not have been impressed by as a journalist I'm actually quite impressed by as a as a colleague because I look at the workload that they've got I look at the amount it takes out of them to do the job and it gives you a whole different perspective I think actually I mean you mentioned there about not being a department member um I know that that in your when in your electoral materials yeah, you'd, you'd, ma- you'd made it very clear that you weren't going to for the first year. Yeah, uh, first years up. Well, I've a- taken one. I've, I've I've taken a position in DOI. Oh right, so, yeah. So so I'm now the Colossus of Rhodes uh, <laughs> in the DOI, um, because uh, and it was because I wanted a year to sort of get my feet under the table to learn the system, to to get to know everybody, get a feel for how things worked. And I didn't want to be consumed by the machine of government. And I think that that was a good decision. Uh, But I've done it for a year now, and and I'm no means an expert on any of those things. But I've got a better feel for it. And 
uh, I volunteered. Uh, people said, you know, <laughs> that that's a bit of a rough shake that you've been given the, the roads, you know, because that is one of the poison chalices of government. I think they're all poison chalices, to be honest. Um, but somebody's got to do them. And, and there's only so much that you can lob grenades in as a backbencher. And I think you get to a stage, and I got to it after a year, where I thought, well, if I want to change things, rather than just asking awkward questions, I really ought to roll my sleeves up and get stuck in. And there's no guarantee that I'm going to be able to do any more now that I'm in the department, because I think people assume on the outside of politics that, that somebody who's a political member can make huge changes. And you know that that's not the case. Everything's done pretty much by consensus. Even decisions on which roads get rebuilt, you know, generally speaking, has got a chain of command and half a dozen people have got to sign off and say, yes, this is a good idea. And yes, we've got the money for it or whatever. So it's not just a case of, you know, I, I can get the A5 resurfaced because that's the road that I travel on most. And of course, um, the, there is an argument and certainly it was an argument I employed when I was DOI minister that uh, politics should be kept completely out of uh, priorities when it comes to road improvements. Yes. In, in, uh, you know, in fact, that I, I had very firmly delegated that, that to uh, to the officers to, to des- devise the list of, of where roads needed to be done. Yeah, the, the only thing that I would say about that is that the, the, the department has got its own priorities and it's all very carefully thought through and there are all sorts of factors that go into prioritising one road over another. But I do have serious questions about it. I've only been in the department for a couple of weeks, so it's early days. But I am talking to people like Jeff Robinson at the moment uh, to just ask those questions. Why are we spending an awful lot of time and money and effort on Victoria Street, for example? Uh, because not that I do an awful lot of shopping, but whenever I go into town as a, as a, uh, a pedestrian, I've never once thought, oh, that junction there with the, the Pelican Crossing, is it needs to be rebuilt. Um it strikes me that there are far more worthy places around the island with big potholes or rotten road surfaces. I mean, just Woodburn Road, for example, if you ever drive up there towards the grandstand, it's like a patchwork quilt. It's disgraceful for a main road. Um, and I would have thought that that would take priority over something like Victoria Street. But the answer I got is, well, this, is, this isn't a sudden whim. This has been on the cards ever since we redid Strand Street and, and Duke Street. Um, and this is just the final part of that jigsaw. So... Even so, I think if I if I was benevolent dictator for life, I would have said, forget that. You know, that's fine. It works. Might not be perfect, but it's good enough. Let's get on to the things that are really quite broken. And of course, therein lies the problem uh, with DOI, particularly. I think that there are so many competing priorities. You know, if if it was just down to the uh, the the quality of the road, you know, how 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 many years of life is left in the road that would be one issue but then in relation to things like the example you've just raised uh, there is an argument which is employed by people in the economic development area that would say actually this the center of town has to look smart and tidy and therefore we have to have our roads infrastructure looking smart and tidy and uh, and then you have other uh, competing interests as well in relation to safety matters and and, um, well, that's one of the things about being a politician, Phil, and I'm preaching to the, the choir here, but, you know, it's a case of, of the possible and it's a case of looking at the knock-on effects because people will all say, oh, we need to do this. And it's like, OK, well, if we do that, that's going to affect that. And people often don't look beyond the 
the immediate we need to resurface that road well if you do that that means that people aren't going to be able to use it that means we're going to have to have diversions the diversions aren't terribly good roads and that's going to cause log jams and people aren't going to be able to get it you know so it's, it's all these unintended consequences really um and i think i'm probably getting better at looking at things like that i mean you know if i had to say and i can only base this on on roads that i use so the mount murray back lane uh, that goes through to the braid road uh, for example Again, it's a patchwork quilt. You know, it's a very narrow, mostly single-track road that quite a lot of vehicles use, but not enough to make it a priority. So the fact that it irritates me every time my suspension bottoms going over the, the patchwork quilt of, of potholes and things like that, especially around the golf club, um, uh, it, it's just that. It's, it's an irritation, uh, but it's not such a busy road that it would justify bumping up the list. The other area that uh, you have responsibility for, of course, is the post office. Yes. Um, and uh, obviously the uh, the uh, the various jokes about Post and Pat have all, all been had and, and gone, so I won't, I won't, go, I won't stray there. Um, but you do have some um, items on the Tinwald Order paper, which we yeah. could perhaps talk about. Um, and but, but I suppose to start with, um, chairman of the post office, was that something you'd ever expected to Never. be? Never. Never, no, uh, no. The chief minister approached me and said, um, "We, we, we, uh, be, because of a ministerial move around now, um, we need somebody to chair the post office." I said, uh, "Yeah, and <laughs> why are you telling me about it?" <laughs> he said, "Well, have you considered it?" I said, "No," and I think he was a little bit crestfallen that you know <laughs> I wasn't beating his door down to get the job because I'd never even thought about it. Um, and he said, "Well, you know, if I offered it, you would you take it?" I said, "Well, you know, if you think I can do it." Uh, and you want me to do it, uh, and you know, th- then I'll do it. Um, so it, it was, it was that loose, really. And um, and, and in relation to that, then, um, what 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 have you learned by being chairman of the post office that perhaps you wouldn't have known or, or realised from from the outside? Well, a lot about the post office that that people just don't think about, and it, it's facing all sorts of challenges at the moment not least the fact that nobody sends mail anymore nobody sends post anymore uh, and that is the cornerstone of the business that's what supported the business for the last however many years um, and nobody sends letters anymore so that part of of the uh, post office's business is in rapid decline whereas parcels are going up and this is this inevitable move towards online shopping um, which is a whole different argument but people are doing it so and it's quite funny that you know most of the people who say that we ought to shop local are the first ones to get onto Amazon and buy the latest widget you know um, so so it's been learning things like that and the fact that you know the post office is operating the parcels business which isn't a monopoly like post um, so the parcel business is having to compete but it's not competing on a level playing field it's got an arm tied behind its back the post office is a very responsible employer so it pays tax national insurance like all the rest of it uh, holiday pay sick pay pensions to to its staff uh, and that's you know that that's as it should be but it's competing against people in the gig economy which is you know people who've got a couple of hours a day to spare and they've got their own car and for so much per parcel, they'll deliver things from the the distribution centre, um, and then you know they they are not 
subject to employers' national insurance. They, they're not employed as such, so there's no sick pay, no holiday pay, uh, none of those things, no pension contribution, and it makes it incredibly cheap to do that. So the Isle of Man Post Office is trying to compete in that market uh, with one hand tied behind its back. And it's things like that that, unless you're involved in the business, you don't really think about. Post Office has always been there. It's one of the most trusted organisations on the Isle of Man, thankfully. Uh, I think that the you know the police and and the government uh, would give eye teeth to to have the trust levels that the post office enjoys, um, and so you know p- people are used to it and it just works and nobody really asks any questions, um, but a lot of people don't realise what goes behind all that. Um, we we had uh, the thing a few weeks ago about the the golden post box in Onken, for example, uh, which was resolved instantly, uh, as I recall it. Uh, so you know the post office is there to offer a public service, and it's there to do things that the public wants where it can. One of the other problems that it's got at the moment is because of the decline in letters, it means that it is not as attractive a business for sub postmasters and sub postmistresses because their their deals are usually uh, a, a fixed amount of money to operate the service and then an amount of money based on their turnover. So as the turnover goes down and incoming parcels, for example, don't generate anything or, or very much for them, um, it means that, that their business is less and less viable. So, for example, uh, the uh, sub-postmaster mistress in uh, Laxey and um, Kirk Michael have said that as of Christmas they're they're finished with it. So we've had an expression of interest out, uh, which closed this week, uh, for people who might want to take over the Kirk Michael uh, operation. But it is likely it wouldn't be in the present premises because a standalone sub-post office is not something that is probably terribly economically viable unless it's in a very populated area. So we're looking at, at, at you know post light or whatever where where we, we rethink the way that we do things, and because we don't like changing the Isle of Man, everybody is absolutely set against that. But it is an inevitability. Yes, I mean, there's, <clears throat> whenever there's talk of closing a post office, there's there's uh, a very strong reaction from the local community, who all believe that they want the post office. Yeah. Um, but uh, as as is evident from from post office figures, certainly even when I was uh, still in, in in government, the uh, the the the, the footfall has, has decreased quite yeah. sig- uh, and, and uh, significantly, and uh, people are using uh, internet and various other means to to, well, to access why stuff you? they used I to mean, do through. You the know, post I I've always had at least one car and at least one motorbike, and sometimes in good times I've had more than that. Um, and I always used to go and tax them at Phil Braidwood's on Windsor Road. Um, and you could have a nice little chat with Phil and sort of a bit of banter and all the rest of it. It was all very pleasant. And they'd check your insurance and uh, and like that. And you come out with a, sh- a shiny new tax disc. Now I get a letter through the post that says, here's the code. Go to the secure website and give us your money and we'll post one out. I mean, why wouldn't people do that, given the op- option? And I appreciate that there are still people in the community who who haven't got computers, don't want computers, don't do anything in li- online, don't want to do anything online. Um, but those people are getting fewer and fewer. And what we've got to look at is the majority of people. And the majority of people now are digitally enabled one way or another. And uh, the post office business has, has got to reflect that. There was talk at one point of having... Um or using the post office potentially as a, a kind of a, a, a government counter yeah. um, and maybe 
having a fairly radical rethink about how this service is delivered, um, certainly for a, a, a fair while uh, during uh, my time in, in Tynmald, uh, the, the view was we just had to keep all these artificial subsidies that were involved. So as DOI minister, I had to allow uh, for various things to be done through the post office rather than done online because Tynwald members were kicking off that this was going to lose the uh, the post office loads of money if we went online with it. And uh, in in the end, you know, effectively that meant that more more roads couldn't be repaired because we were effectively putting in an artificial subsidy those Um, those discussions are still ongoing so we're still talking to the doi about vehicle licensing and i think that their long-term plan is to digitalize it Uh, same thing with uh with benefits i think that the treasury's long-term plan and by long term i mean two three years is to make all that digital so that money is transferred directly uh, onto the card or whatever it is you know whatever uh, system is used and there will always be certain people who don't want that they want to physically go somewhere and walk out with a handful of cash and uh, and that's kind of all right but it isn't sustainable and I think that we've all got to be grown up about that and I think we've all got to say yeah that's all very well but if there is an option then people really ought to consider that because you know the post office can't be kept open for the few people who refuse or, or are unable to use digital technology. Maybe the thing is to try harder to enable those people to have access to digital services rather than try and keep loss-making sub-post offices open. Or perhaps uh, using the, 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 the government counter-example, maybe um, having a, a, a rethink about how... Uh, the post office is is supported by government um, and rather than doing it by forcing various departments to continue to lose money by using old paper methods uh, actually take some of the the saved money and and spend that in the post office to allow people to come in and learn how how to use online facilities maybe there'll be a computer available that they can use um, uh, maybe, maybe that sort of thing is, is it that kind of imaginative thinking that's required if, if the post office is to, to survive in the future I, I think that, that I mean this is before my time but I, I have heard uh, that there was talk about having some sort of community hub service and I, I think that for various reasons people decided that it possibly wouldn't work because it would mean having government officers involved and, and all the rest of it so I mean I can't give you chapter and verse on it but I, I don't think it really was progressed um, the thing is, again, unintended consequences. I was talking to the uh, chief exec of, of Isleman Post the other day, and I said, "Well, maybe part of the answer to this is to to have a mobile service, a bit like the mobile library, um, so uh, that can be out and about, and it can maybe uh, go to places that that haven't got a sub post office anywhere near, and it would be a good service." He said, "Well, yeah, that's okay, but." here are the problems and he listed all the problems with doing that at the end of which I just said yeah hands up you know obviously that won't work then Um, so things like yeah it would probably cost a quarter of a million quid for a mobile post office because it would have to be built to a certain standard Um, they've asked people in the past members of the public in the past would you welcome that kind of thing a lot of elderly people have said oh we don't want to be walking up steps to get into the post office Um, it would have to be secure it would have to go to locations that that were also secure Um, so what starts off as oh that would be a good idea why don't we do that There, there are usually reasons 
and the post office is an incredibly um, uh, good organisation. I mean, the, the, the people who are running it and operating it uh, are, are all good people. And there are very few things that they've not thought of in the past and, and looked into. Well, uh, I hate to say this, but we're approaching halfway through the broadcast already. Um, when, when we started off uh, two, uh, two Tinbald members light, I was wondering how we were going to find plenty to talk about, but we seem to be managing. Um, so after the break, we'll have a, look, uh, a closer look at the Tinbald order paper. You're listening to Post Office Chair and MHK for Middle, Stu Peters. So looking at the, the Timmeld order paper then, the, there's a, a statement by the Chief Minister on built environment. Uh, any, any ideas what's what's coming there? Or? No, I don't think I have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, sorry. Well, no, no, that, that ended that conversation no, fairly quickly, didn't it? <laughs> it's always good to be straight and honest, <laughs> isn't it? Um, I'm, I'm sure every politician claims they want to be. So, uh, I shall um, wait with great interest for Tuesday and find yeah. out what he's talking about. The only trouble with brownfield sites is that they're not always easily developed and they're not always suitable for for uh, housing accommodation. Everybody thinks that brownfield sites are the, the answer and they might be part of the answer, but they're not the entire answer, I don't think. And and actually mentioning the, uh, the economic strategy, um, an item or two later on the order paper, there it is, um, the Isle of Man economic strategy which the Chief Minister will move. And, of course, the, the highlight, mainly because Council of Ministers decided that this would be a headline figure, is this 15,000 um, population increase. Yeah. It was w- the one area within the economic strategy which had a mixed response. Yeah. And I suspect... Um, well, that, we, don't, we don't like comeovers is the well, problem. Well, <laughs> well, I don't know. Is it that or is it we don't like uh, to have... Um, houses in our backyards. We, 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 we don't like change. We don't like comeovers. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we're all a little bit nimbyish, I think. And, and people at home will be will be shouting at the radio now that well, I'm not a nimby, uh, but an awful lot of people are. So, uh, on the doorstep this time last year, when I was trying to get uh, when I was canvassing for votes, I was saying to people, "What's important to you?" Well, we need a lot more housing for younger people. You know, I've got children, and they're going away to university, uh, and when they come back, there's no way they can afford a house. So, we need lots more housing. And it's like, okay, well, uh, if we built an estate behind... Well, we don't want one there. Uh, and it's <laughs> it's that strange thing where everybody says we need something, but then when you say, okay, well, this is what we're going to do, it's like, no, you can't do that. Ridiculous. And there have been some fairly imaginative uh, solutions developed to this in, in other parts of the British Isles where... Uh, communities are, are more directly engaged in the process of deciding um, what number of houses they want in their area and where in their in their area do they want that to go. Um, we we seem to be very much led by uh, the planning department as to as to as to how all this should be done at the well, moment. Well, and people would say the developers. You know, we're led by the developers. Um, all that I know about it. I mean, one of the things I've got to say, Phil, is that since I got into politics, my my brain has expanded at an exponential rate from being a a broadcaster, which I'd been doing for 20 years, and I was very comfortable with it. Um, But I've had to learn an awful lot of new skills and and learn about a thousand different things. Um, So my brain has now expanded to the size of a pea. Um, (laughs) But but having said that, there there are certain things that I take a, a particular interest in 
and there are a lot of things that I leave to the experts. So housing, um, whilst I'm interested in it to a point, I, I think that Chris Thomas is doing a great job there uh, in terms of housing. Uh, and there are other things, you know, finances, treasury stuff, leave it to them, they're the experts. I'm relatively innumerate. Um, so so the, there are things that, I, I, that don't really come up on my radar. Next item on the on the list then is the Isle of Man Post Office annual plan, yeah. um, which presumably is uh, your your first um, official duty as as chair of, of post. Is it? Well, I think I answered a question about the post office, right. uh, but yeah, it, well, it's the first time, uh, and the the official wording is it's the first time that I've I've tried to pass a motion. I think, but that sounds a bit grim. Uh, <laughs> it's the first time that I'm I'm going to uh, to propose a motion. Um, so I think the idea is that I get up, give a bit of a speech about what it is. The report itself has been on the Timwell Register of, of Interest for, I think, um, six weeks. So people have had a t- uh, plenty of time to read it. Uh, I stand up, give a bit of a speech about what it is and what it's there for and all the rest of it. Uh, allow members to have a, a say um, in Timwell Court uh, and then kind of round it up at, at the end and, and try and get the motion through. Um, so it, it, yes, it's it's another new skill for me to try and do that. I'm ju- I just hope that I'm not the first MHK ever to fail. <laughs> and what what are the highlights of, of, of the report? Um, is it business as usual or continued no, it's, decline? It, it, or? It's it's not. It, it's very much a case of the, the post office. Like I said earlier, is a very dynamic organisation because it's operating in, in a very difficult business. Now that's not to say that it's all doom and gloom. There are opportunities as well as as problems. Um, and the management team is is working very hard. The board is is uh, is full of very smart people, and it's working very hard to try and identify opportunities, and to to think of better ways of doing things. And so the report goes into detail on those. Uh, I think that the 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 report before this was laid in 2017, and runs out this year, and we've kind of extended it to 2025. So. In the post office business, what is really important is is as much certainty as possible to, to base forecasts on and to base the business on and to base contracts on. Um, so if we can have any uh, any sort of certainty, then that's obviously what the, the company wants to do. I mean, the thing about the post office that you've got to remember is that, you know, around about the time that Moses was handed the Ten Commandments, the post office was handed some commandments from Tim Wald and, and Council of Ministers. And the first one, and the most important one, is you shall operate as a commercial concern. Um, and the second one was you shall do your best, make best endeavours to, to try and, and make a profit that comes back into Treasury for other things. So those are the two overriding objectives of, of the board of the post office. Um, and what we need is a clear steer, I think, from government about about how they are happiest for us to do that. Okay, and uh, are you going to in, in, invite said opinion during your opening remarks in in relation to this matter, or are you just going to stick to the the, the annual plan? Uh, no, I'm going to stick to the annual plan because the post office itself uh, has just concluded, or it's it's just closed uh, a public consultation, which has had a a, a pretty good response. <laughs> a few people got in touch with me and said, you know, it's supposed to be 15 minutes. I've been 25 minutes on this, um, so there have been a few complaints about it and why why the the uh, 
the consultation needed to know the colour of people's underwear and all the rest of it. But um, it, it was run by a professional uh, company, and uh, and I think it's had a good response. So in terms of, of trying to find out what our customers want and make sure that that tallies with what we are trying to provide, you know, that that's something that's that's done at a company level, at the post office level. So then the next item on the on the Tinwald order paper is the report of the Select Committee on of, of Tinwald on footpaths, bridleways and green lanes. Um, have you uh, been engaged in uh, that at all? I have absolutely zero interest in those things, I'm afraid. Um, you know, w- walking is, is massively overrated. I seem to have been doing a bit more of it over the last week or so. And, uh, and you know, I, I can't recommend it to anybody. <laughs> well, <laughs> fair enough. Um, I mean, the, 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 the um, Council of Ministers effectively has come back and said that they think that what the uh, uh, the select committee recommended was fine. Uh, so it all seems to be uh, a, I think a, so, yeah. another tin will love in on this one. Yeah. Um, the, the next one, then, is... The... I won't vote against it. I mean, there yeah. are certain things that I vote against on principle. Um, there are certain things that, that are fine for other people, but not anything that particularly interests me, and this is one of those. So, you know, if, if, if the consensus is, and I'll, I'll read the report beforehand, if the consensus is that the government's heading in the right direction or, or this is what it ought to do, then I'll, I'll vote along with the others on it. Hmm. Yeah, so, so next on the list is the publication of members' circulars, and, and it would appear that uh, Laurie Hooper has some concern about the presiding officers being allowed to uh, authorise that uh, certain information that has been shared uh, be released to the public. Um, well, unless I've got the wrong end of the stick, I think this is something that was started by Alistair Ramsey, uh, where he was talking about secret meetings mm. of, of Timwell. And so uh, people have looked at that, Clark Timwell has looked at it, and so in future, you know, the the, the minutes or, or whatever uh, of these meetings will be made public after a certain period of time. You'll appreciate, I'm sure, that, that members need to be able to talk amongst themselves before a public response is, is published. So I think there is a lead time between members talking about something or being briefed on something and that information getting into the public domain. I think that's the right thing. And I think there are still certain things that might not be right to go into the public domain, things like commercial confidentiality, for example, where people are named or whatever. So so there will be exceptions to that, and I think that the, the, there is a mechanism in there for that to happen. It does seem a bit extraordinary that, in, a, in essence, a minister is questioning the ability of the presiding officers to be able to pass judgment on those sorts of matters, though. Um, I don't really know. I mean, that that's the whole thing about a democracy in that, you know, any member can ask anybody any question, I suppose, about things. So um, if Laurie's got concerns about it, I think it's important to uh, to raise them. And unfortunately, uh, Laurie was unable to join us uh, um, last minute. Uh, so we can't, well, you would have we had two ministers him. for the price of one, <laughs> well, wouldn't we you? Well, we would. Yes, yeah. we would. Yeah, I um, wonder if the fee goes up if you've got two. Oh, no, there is no fee. That's it, yeah. <laughs> Well, I think there is a fee, actually. Yeah, but anyway, that's that's by the by. So, so that's that's that one. Um, that the, then the other one that uh, I had hoped. This is why I, I'd asked uh, uh, Laurie and uh, Tanya to join us, and they had agreed. Um, was in relation to um, a general debate about the committee system. Uh, I spoke to the speaker, the speaker of the House of Keys, June Watterson, and. Uh, he said words to the effect of nothing to see here, move along, please. Um, 
but obviously uh, Tanya and Laurie seem to have have some concern about this. Uh, are you aware of any concerns about the committee system? Uh, no, not particularly. I, the thing is that, uh, and this is something that that irritates me and 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 bothers me, I suppose, about government, in, is that we tend to do an awful lot of na- navel gazing. And in my view, if if something's fixed, then you know d- don't try and break it. Um, if something's not if something's not broken, sorry, don't try and fix it. Um, and I don't know that the committee system is broken. I've not heard anybody else saying that they've got concerns about it. Um, and I just think that we could spend our time better trying to get on with real problems than looking at the systems within government. Another one which I would imagine some of your ratepayers might think uh, is a good idea, but others may have a bit of a concern, is an all-island leisure rate. Is this the the Trojan horse way of of introducing an all-island rate uh, completely, (laughs) or or is is this just uh, 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 another whim on the part of... uh, Mr. Moorhouse from uh, well, member for Arbury Castleton and Maloo. Y- you'd really need to, to ask him about that. Um, it strikes me that this is something that's been talked about certainly for as long as I can remember, so that's probably 20, 25 years, about the thought of an all-island rate and whether or not this all-island leisure thing is a precursor to that. I don't know. You'd have to ask him, and he'd probably not give you a, an answer to it anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I, I, he hasn't when I have asked. Yeah, so. I, I don't know. Uh, I've, I, I've talked to a couple of the... Uh, local commissioners' uh, offices uh, about this, and um, I think that they're a little bit concerned about about the idea for for obvious reasons. But the, the I mean, the, the the question is whether or not we ought to have the the four plus one or whatever, uh, and try and get more efficiencies in the commissioner system that we've got, the the local authority system. Um, that's a bigger debate than we could have today, and it's not something that I'm particularly um, uh, well uh, informed on. Because you, you've got three local authorities in the middle, haven't you? Braddon, uh, Santon and Maloo? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and Braddon, one of the larger, richer authorities, Santon, yeah. one of the smaller, poorer ones. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And doing a good job as well. Mm. I was invited down to the opening of the, the new flats on the... Um, uh, at uh, Union Mills a few weeks ago, uh, and it's just you know magnificent. They've done a cracking job there. Uh, also, they're building a, a big new leisure centre up at the hospital site, which is you know it's all very exciting. Um, I don't know that we've built anything in Santon for for donkey's years. It would. I mean, that's that. It's a load of uh, motions. Uh, you know, uh, to to. to to finish the uh, order paper, but they're, they're relatively uh, minor things by the look of things. Maybe there's a few that have sneaked in there, um, but they tend to be just orders uh, from from various uh, departments of government. Well, we, one is the the Green Living Grant um, amendment scheme, which maybe uh, um, doesn't, well, doesn't come a moment not, too soon. Yeah, it's not been working, has it? The Green Living no, scheme. So. No. Uh, I think that you know we need to be fairly fleet of foot, realise when things don't work as expected and, and change them so that they do work. I mean, this is one of the differences. I was in London last week at the uh, a CPA event, which was aimed primarily at new members of the House of Keys so that we got a feel for how it's done over in Westminster. So I spent two days in, in uh, the Palace of Westminster. Uh, we got to see Prime Minister's questions. We... It It does make our three departures from ministerial office look, uh, look well, absolutely. quite uh, minimal, yeah. doesn't well, it? Well, I thought if I'd have stayed an extra week, I might have been Prime Minister by now. But, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and the thing that I did learn, because everybody that you talk to, if you read Facebook or Manx Forums or whatever, politicians in the Isle of Man are all completely useless, don't do anything, just on a huge salary and swan around feeling important. Um, if you look at UK politics, it strikes me that that is very much more a big game. And uh, like I say, we spent three days there. And it all seems like a game. Uh, and it's all it's, it's a bit of a blood sport. And they probably spend half the time with uh, inter-Nissan fighting amongst their own party and then fighting the, the uh, opposing party. And, and we're so fortunate that we don't really have that in the Isle of Man, that people are elected, they get involved, and in my experience over the last 12 months, everybody that's in the House of Keys certainly is, is committed to doing as good a job as possible. Now, you know, it might not be a brains trust, um, but, you know, you've, you've got 24 people who are really trying the best for their constituents and for the wider island. And I didn't get that impression in London, looking at the House of Commons. It struck me that there were 600 people who were all looking after their own interests first and, you know, working on being able to retire with a, a few non-executive directorships that would be very lucrative and uh, and all the rest of it. Um, but um, I, I think it, it was definitely a, a tick in the box for our political system rather than theirs. And, and that is the mother of parliaments, you know. So everybody looks at the UK and thinks that's the way it should be done. I came away thinking, actually, it's not. You know, we've got a better system in Timwald. There is, though, a view that you know, one person's view of uh, that, that uh, you know, point scoring um, and, and uh, uh, internal fighting. Uh, another person might say, "Well, actually, this is proper, real scrutiny and holding people to account." Do you think uh, perhaps sometimes we're a little bit too soft in terms of holding? I don't people think to we account? are. I mean, you know, if I've got a problem with uh, anything that's going on in government. I can pick up the phone or I can pop in and see the minister or the political member or whoever, or I can see the clerk at Timwell. Everybody is accessible in the Isle of Man. And so, you know, if I wanted to stand up and ask 20 questions at the next Timwell or the next House of Keys, there's nothing to stop me doing that. And, and unless I ran out of time, all of those 20 questions would be heard and answered. Um, in the UK, I, I think we were talking to one MP who said, yeah, over the course of a year you probably get three opportunities to ask a question, um, uh, Prime Minister's questions, for example. Well, you know, every Timwell, every House of Keys is, is effectively Prime Minister's questions. Um, so, uh, again, I, I, it looks good, but the question is whether or not the theatre of politics is more important than the reality of politics. And I think if you're there to try and, and make a positive change and to do a good job for people, um, the fact that you're not constantly thinking about, you know, how you can get one over on your opposing uh, uh, constituency uh, partner or whoever, um, I, I think ours is a better system. Is it, though, as as um, one former politician of, of long standing and, and reasonably popular standing, um, would have said a bit too clubby, clubby, matey, clubby, matey. Clubby, matey and matey, are, matey. are you now one of the club and, and one of the mates? Am I, am I part of the one-party state by patronage? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, and that's an, uh, an accusation amongst many that have been levelled at me since I, I got elected as an MHK, that, oh, he's gone inside the tent now, and all the promises that he made in his manifesto, those will all be forgotten. Uh, and that is absolutely not true. I've done exactly what I said I was going to do. Um, 
the problem, and I'm sure I've said this to you before, is that when you actually get involved as an MHK, the irritation of the whole thing is that it's like treading treacle. There is no quick fix. There is no way I can go and knock heads together and, and make a change immediately. It's all got to be by consensus. Um, and the other problem that I've noticed, and I've said this before, I'm sure, that government and the public sector as a whole looks at outputs rather than outcomes. So as long as everybody's busy, as long as everybody's working hard, as long as people are producing reports and doing consultations and all that, then the presumption is that everybody's doing a good job. And actually, there's nothing coming out at the end of it. So if you've got a, a pothole on your road, what you want is somebody to turn up with a bucket of tar and fix it. You don't want an unmet need survey and, uh, you know, a prioritised list and a so-and-so and, you know, and all the rest of it uh, that government takes. But and I was trying to explain this to somebody on Facebook the other day. The problem is that we live in a very litigious society now. We live in, uh, I'm saying it's a problem, and, and in some ways maybe it is. Um, and the other thing is that we're living in uh, a society now where transparency is very important. You know, 50 years ago, you elected a politician. You'd never see or hear, hear of them ever again. And you just trusted them to go on and do the job. Nowadays, people are questioned on every single thing that they say, think or do. Um, and it takes staff to do that. One of the, the disappointments I've got is that, again, in my manifesto, I stated, and it's not a new thought, that government is too big. The public sector is too big. Let's try and reduce it and make it more manageable. But to keep those services that people insist on these days and to keep the transparency and to have people to answer freedom of information requests and things like that, you've got to employ people to do it. So it, it's just... It's just the way that the world is going now, and, and it's not a case of government trying to employ as many people as possible to make the unemployment figures look good, which is, you know, criticism here all the time. I, I mean, you say it's the way that the world is going. Um, do we, though, not have the opportunity in the Isle of Man of, of actually booking the trend and, and saying, actually, uh, you know what, uh, we... we We've got so much yeah. middle management, uh, which effectively is the treacle, um, that uh, effectively we're, we, you're driven by processes often which, which could have been started even in my time, you know, two, two terms ago. I think the um, problem with the Isle of Man public services or public sector is, is that what we do is that we base those processes on what happens in the UK. So in a department, you know, you, you might see all sorts of jobs that, that realistically in the eye of man, do, do we need that? And I'll not name any of them, but, you know, I, I remember years and years ago when I worked at Manx Radio, I, I got a copy of the internal phone list for, for government. And I looked through the, the titles of people in various departments, thought, we don't need one of those. You know, why have we got somebody doing that? But I think that what happens is that, civil, and it might be because we, we often employ civil servants from across who bring all these sort of uh, uh, English ideas about how you need to structure a department. But I think that that's the problem with it. But once you've got it, how do you get rid of it? People say, oh, just sack them all. Well, you can't do that. You know, for, for one, it's not a reasonable thing to do to people who've got the livelihoods to consider. Um, but also, if they've been doing what they've been told to do for the last five or 10 or 20 years or whatever, you can't then say, yeah, but you're doing it wrong, you know, because their answer would be, well, we're doing exactly what we've been told to do. So I don't know how you change that. 
I really don't. Uh, and I think there have been initiatives where, um, in the DOI, for example, I can't remember the acronym, but it was something about you know looking at each individual job and deciding whether or not it was uh, an important job, whether it was being done properly and all the rest of it. So, again, before my time, but I believe that that took place. And the trouble is that it, it unsettles people, um, which, again, can be fairly counterproductive. It, the size of government, the size of the public sector is a problem. What we do about it, I honestly, honestly don't know. I don't think there can be many people in government that, given the opportunity to actually get on and deliver the the core purpose of their area of responsibility, that they wouldn't be delighted to be freed of the bureaucracy, the overwhelming layers of bureaucracy which hold them back. Well, I always used to say when I was on the radio that, that what the Isle of Man needs is to elect me as benevolent dictator for life because if you had that autonomy, you could actually just go into a department and say, right, you, 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 and you, you're fired. We don't need you anymore. But, but you know, in the system that we've got, you just can't do that. Uh, you know, you would walk through a department and say, what do you do? Oh, I do so-and-so. Right, we don't need that anymore. You're off. Uh, what do you do? Well, I plan. Well, we're not going to build any new ones of those. You're off, gone. Um, and that's the only way that you could do it. But <laughs> I don't think that vote will be forthcoming any time soon. Well, uh, it would be wrong of me not to give you the opportunity, just as we approach the end of the programme, to tell me whether or not you uh, attended COP. Uh, 27. Um, I, I, I'm guessing that, that maybe not. Has it happened already? Well, I, I don't know. It's, it's certainly did, happening. Did, did Rishi Sunak go? Because yes. I thought it was very weak that he said, no, I'm not going. Uh, I'll, I'll send some experts instead. And then he was he was faced with a barrage from the opposition benches about not going and taking it seriously. And he, he folded on it, which I thought was a, a very poor marker in his first week. Um, no, I've got absolutely no interest in it. And, and more to the point, uh, one of my heroes is Dr. Jordan Peterson, uh, who's a philosopher and, and uh, all the rest of it. Uh, and he posts thousands of, of YouTube videos, which I, I've watched most of. He's written books, which I've read. Uh, I think the man is a genius. And, and I watched a, a video by him the other day where he actually calls out the whole climate change thing and says, you know, it's pretty much a nonsense. Because even if it's true, even if the projections are true, the fact is that we're sacrificing this generation for something that might happen if the scientists are right and they've not been right so far in 50 or 100 or 200 years uh, and that is just completely balmy there are other views of course and uh, they were expressed uh, last uh, month uh, during the the Timmeld discussion on all the various uh, climate change matters well sadly uh, Stu that is the end we, we've uh, reached the end of the program uh, I'm sorry, uh, listener, that we only had you, uh, me and Stu, although but maybe you'll be pleased that that was the case. That was Stu Peters, MHK, for Middle Post Office Chair and self-styled Colossus of Rhodes. Stu certainly appears to be warming to his new role, but has he become part of the club? Or is it possible to effectively challenge and hold government to account without being rude and aggressive? Please get in touch with Phil Gorn at manxradio.com and let me know your thoughts and views on the programme. Also, let me know what you would like me to talk about on future shows. But for now, I'm Phil Gorn. Goromayos and Gay Thanks for listening.